Cody, what's your toxic trait? My toxic trait? Yeah. Like, if you could pick any trait uh, uh, that you have, which one do you think is, like, the most toxic? Mm, I don't know if this is what you mean, but does it count that I can only really do one thing at a time and I can't think three steps ahead? Mm. Is that toxic or no? I mean, it's okay. <laughs> I would say, um, yeah, I mean, that's fine. Okay. Ask All right, what's yours? Oh, Jake, what's your toxic trait? It's a great question, Cody. Thank you for asking. Um, it's not wishing people a happy birthday. Oh, then that's fine too. Who does that? I don't know, but I always feel super guilty when people wish me happy birthday every because it's coming up. I mean, it's it's we're twenty two days away, but mm-hmm. I never wish people happy birthday on Facebook or even like through a text or something. Oh, yeah, well, we gotta clarify though. Are are you saying like the generic like? I think there's levels of happy birthday. There's the, I got a Facebook reminder and I'm going to write on your wall. That means nothing. You're dead to me. I don't even do that. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't count for anything. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's like a, it's not a mass text because it's still individualized, but it's just kind of like happy birthday without any sort of like personalization or anything. But still that's, that's cool. I'm cool with that. I'll do that sometimes. I don't do that either. Um, Very rarely, but uh, I do do it. And then there's like the phone call, right? Or, uh, I, I guess it's just the phone call where they actually take the time to call you and say happy birthday. I will, I will do that with my dad and my mom, Mm -hmm. but that's it. And I feel bad because I wanted to bring this up because my sister's birthday, my little sister's birthday was this month. My older sister's birthday was the month prior. And I was actually late, I think on both of their birthdays. So like my older sister, Katie, I think I wish her happy birthday like a day or two later. And then my little sister was like the next morning or something. But, <laughs> and it was like one of those. Was they um, no, no, I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I didn't ask. I just, it was just a text. <laughs> like, you're welcome. But, but I, also, think... I also really don't care if people wish me a happy birthday. Like, if like, if you're salty about me not wishing you a happy birthday, then don't wish me a happy birthday. It's, I mean, I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's just a day. Yeah. I don't know. The, I, I but I always see like and every time it's somebody's birthday, it's like everybody like wishing somebody a happy birthday. And I, I like a month ago I try to be better about this and I was like, okay, I'm gonna wish, you know, my friends happy birthday, even if I don't really know. I'm just gonna say, you know, happy birthday or like the H B D and like just to get something out there. It, it lasted like two days and then I was like, mm, no. <laughs> Here's my problem though, is because like if you do it for one person, I feel like you're morally obligated to do it to everybody. Or, or, or like that just line. yeah, or like yeah. that means that like they are less than someone else that you wished it for previously. Yeah, it's true. So like, where do you draw the line at? So I just draw the line at just not doing it for anybody, <laughs> nobody at all. Yeah, immediate family maybe. Well, that's it. Mm, yeah. Uh, growing up, my family always did a thing where I think everybody does differently, but we would do it that it didn't matter uh, necessarily what day it was, as long as it was the day before you fell asleep. So, and it started because, uh, my, I think it was my grandpa called my dad, uh, to wish him happy birthday. And it's like two in the morning, right. When he answers or where my dad is, cause you know, military and being throughout the world and stuff. And he is just exhausted, picks up the phone. It's like, thanks dad. And hangs up. <laughs> so <laughs> it's always been a thing where, um, as long as you call before you go to sleep, um, and you don't have to, like, it's not a, it's not a hard set rule or anything, but I've always thought it's fun. So, um, if it's like 3am when you go to sleep and you just call the person before you go, even if it's the next day and you're like, Hey, happy birthday. And 
you know they're like oh yeah you. it was yesterday actually it's like, uh, well it's still today for me yeah so. i've kind of always done that too just like just as long as i send a text before i go to bed but then lately it's been you know not that <laughs> <laughs> i do think it's funny though i i don't know i think it's especially funny if i get a phone call at like two in the morning or somebody sends me a text it the next day because either either way it's funny either they intentionally knew and then they forgot and wanted to send it you know as late as possible which is hilarious or they actually did forget which is even funnier and either way i don't really care because i don't think yeah it just doesn't mean a ton to me i just don't expect anybody to remember my birthday like why is that why is that important in your life why is (laughs) why is the day that i was born on your calendar like i don't (laughs) It, just, some people, yours, some people I mean, yeah, I mean, yours definitely isn't on my calendar, not yours, but like in general, mm-hmm. like there's like three people's birthday. I have like client birthdays on my calendar, but that's more like a PR thing. I have your birthday on my calendar. I know you do. Um, I can't, your birthday's on my calendar, but I can't tell you, you don't have to say it back. I can't tell you when it is. Is it in August? It's in the fall. Mm-hmm. October. It's October. I'm going to say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's on my calendar i don't well like i don't that's the thing it's like i don't remember people's birthdays like it's it's not a superpower of mine i'll never have that power yeah and i'd rather just focus on being able to have a conversation with you and talk about things that you like and have an engaging conversation every day than you know pretend like i care about you one day a year yeah, I think some people just try to gamify it, maybe, where they think, oh, if I remember this and then I do this, then I am at this tier of friendship with this person because of this. And uh, it just... Look at us justifying being shitty people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. uh, but I I use this podcast to justify being a terrible person because we just give away information for free. And I'm like, Hey, people, that makes up for it. people like that. Yeah. And then uh, it allows me to be a jerk every, in every other aspect of my life. On the, birth, on the birthdays. Like, hey, we make up for it with the karma here. You said something to me the other day. You were like, uh, that I really liked. And you said, because I, I am, I, I can come off kind of uh, like a jerk uh, in some of these marketing groups because what you stated was, I have no respect for bullshitters and I have no reason to believe someone isn't bullshitting me unless they mm-hmm. prove it. And, uh, it's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. It's like dodgeball. It's like, what does he say? Strange approach. Let's see if it works for Cotton. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays <laughs> off for <laughs> just We're just in an industry where 90% of the people that we talk to are just full of shit. And um, like, sorry, I, when I first started Evergrow, everybody in the landscaping industry and all the groups and forums thought I was kind of a, a scammer or like you know just one of those dime a dozen here today gone tomorrow marketers and you know they could have been right but i wasn't i stuck around and now we're like one of the marketing agencies in the green industry so but so it's kind of like i don't know you, you got into this industry you got into the marketing industry like you should know that people aren't going to respect you right away yeah it's kind of like used car sales right i mean it's yeah it's got a reputation yeah so speaking about reputation, uh, we wanted to talk about a little bit about uh, how to, uh, this question has come up a lot. So let me back up. Uh, this question has come up a lot in some of the marketing groups I'm in, marketing agency owners a lot, um, but it's basically on how to price your services. So there's a lot of material out there that suggests 
pricing your services at a specific market value of what people think it's worth. And so you usually get a lot of these guys who start social media marketing agencies or SMMAs. And the first thing they want to do is they want to go to market with a $1,000 or $1,500 management fee plus ad spend. And frankly, that's just not realistic, uh, really for anyone, especially if you don't have any experience uh, under your belt. Uh, $1,000, $1,500 management fee, that's like what our old agency was charging. And they were a $20 million agency. So if you're like a solo guy or girl and you're trying to start your social media marketing agency and maybe, you know, you took some meta courses and you took uh, some other social media courses and you can you can execute it, maybe you do have a little bit of history running social ads through a past company. You you aren't worth $1,000, 1500 Well, just squash your dreams right there. So the next question becomes, how do you price your services when you have no experience? And then conversely, how how does that different between a project-based service and a monthly service? Mm-hmm. So at Evergrow, we have two services. We have a pro- we have projects and we have monthly services. So a project would be like our website builds. Those are project based. We it has like essentially a essentially a physical. It's not physical. It's digital, but a physical good which we can actually showcase a website. And then you have the monthly service, our SEO and Google Ads, which don't produce something that you can see. Only results that are you know somewhat subjective. So how do you price those? when you don't when that's not really a portfolio builder what you know whereas like a portfolio builder would be an asset that you could showcase right and that's why people will do like case studies uh to kind of create a way to showcase that as a as a product of sorts right it's a service but yeah to give them a deliverable of sorts yes uh so uh, i've there's some there's some guys i've run into in the groups who are doing because like a portfolio-based service, that's really easy to figure out how to price, right? You just give it away for free or you do it for very little. Um, if you if, if it's a website, for instance, if we were giving away websites for like 500 bucks when we first started. That's like nothing. Um, and you could even I, you could even argue that I gave away my first couple of websites for free, which I did. This is before Cody, this is before you came along. But I, I gave them to, to friends for free who are in the industry and just really cut my teeth on that. And then I felt more comfortable building a website for $500 and spending, you know, a hundred hours on it, making five bucks an hour. Uh, and I, I felt comfortable doing that just to kind of get my first paying client. And, but also, you know, my second website build in my portfolio. So now I had two examples to show people when we eventually upped our prices. And then we did, we upped our prices to a firm 1000 and then we doubled and went to a firm 2000. And now it is, uh, I think $2,500 minimum. But that's like a very basic website. We haven't sold one of those yet. We only sell three thousand dollars websites and up. Mm-hmm. And um, it can be argued that we can increase the price of our website right now. We've just we're fine tuning things because now we have an actual hourly cost that we base things on versus it, you know more of pricing things of how we're valued at. Um, but that's just the easiest. So when you have a portfolio based thing, that's just the easiest thing to do. But then when you have a monthly based service, how do you how do you go about pricing that initially? Because you're not building a portfolio. It's not like it's not like you can give it away for free and then then take that example and sell it somewhere else. Cody, what are your thoughts on this? How would how if we had to do it over again, how would you do it? Mm, I wouldn't do it differently. <laughs> um, but I would say so there was a time at uh the agency that we were at i was having a combo with somebody when they were talking about pricing uh pricing it, it was software like software as a service and it had a really high uh 
entry, like onboarding, right? We, whatever you want to call it, the upfront cost, and then a really low monthly. And just when I heard it, I stopped him right there. And I said, why are we doing this? Why is it like this? Why is the entry high? And then the monthly low, because anybody who's doing this will tell you that the money is not in the projects. The money is in the, I mean, there's not that there's no money in the projects, the quote, easy money is in the recurring, um, retainers. So, um, even for SaaS, right? Well, especially for SaaS, um, software as a service, because if you, if you come on to whatever it is, whatever software that you're paying for, there's probably some extra work that goes in upfront. And then depending on what that software as a service is, there's really very little on the monthly that's required, uh, on their end. So it's just money. It's just really easy money for them. And, uh, I think that's important to remember when pricing too. Um, so there are, you know, there are lots of people who, depending on what kind of websites they're giving away, undersell them for the sake of getting them on marketing. Um, usually I think when people are, are charging a lot more for dev, it's because they're doing very advanced dev stuff like custom dev work, not really relying on plugins as much. They're actually coding, right? Um, custom applications and that sort of thing. But you said something earlier I wanted to go back to, which was you said like the market rate. And I, I think the one of the most important things to think about and like think about it deeply, not just what people say, because people will say one of two things. They're going to say you have to charge the market rate because that's what the market will accept. There's truth in that. That's important. Think about that. Consider it. That's a good thing. And then you have the other crowd that says charge what you're worth. That's also important. You should think about that, too. Those are not independent of each other. And you have to think about both of those and weigh them at the same time to find the equilibrium of what am I worth and what will the market accept? Because I want everybody to believe that they're worth, you know, $1,000 an hour. But the reality is a lot of people aren't. <laughs> Actually, very few people are. That's um, that's a high rate. So um, if you want to get to that point, you also have to build yourself up. Um, and that does take experience. So, um, but... With all of that said, if it's just you and you're not handing off the work, you do have to, um, you have to charge what it costs for you to care to do the job. So if you aren't happy, you know, let's say the market rate is low and you're not happy doing the work at that rate, even if it's temporary, um, temporary cut, then you gotta figure something out, right? Um, you, you do need to understand that there's going to be a temporary building period. Um, I don't know. I think, well, you have the people who, um, who do this at a job, so they have the experience and then you have the crowd that has uh, no background. They're just getting into this, having no quote, professional, um, experience, professional background. And if that's you, if you're in that latter group, then yeah, you're going to cost less. You're going to charge less. You're going to make less, especially starting out because you've got nothing. You have nothing to go off of. Um, so until you get that, or if you are at a job and then jump ship, then you can kind of skip that that part but even so you do have to remember that businesses if you are a freelancer or you're a solo business businesses are going to expect you to be cheaper than a quote legitimate business because you're paying for different things you have different costs so right or wrong that is what they expect and then you're gonna have to work through that transition of how do we go or how do i go from solopreneur slash freelancer to legitimate business where i employ people have a team and then charge the rates accordingly too so so I uh, there's two points that you made, and I'll cover them in sequence of 
of uh, how I heard or when I heard them. But you you made something, and Skyler touched on this too. Uh, well, I don't know if he touched about in our, in our podcast, but he's been posting about it on Facebook regarding the market the market equilibrium of how much you charge versus the amount of potential clients there are that are willing to pay for that. And you've got to find that supply and demand curve in there. And uh, you said uh, you should charge what you're worth, or people, you should charge what you're worth and what the market is uh, is willing to accept. And uh, uh, I, I think that's it's a cool statement to say, because then you could say, keep in mind, when you charge what you're worth and what the market will accept, you're also charging what you're worth and what the market will expect. So the more you charge for you, the market is going to expect a higher level of service and results, mm-hmm. which is also very important when you're first starting out. If you start at the higher price, the there people are going to expect you produce some kick-ass results. And if you don't have the experience or the backing to deliver on that, it's going to show and, and it can ruin your reputation. Or schmoozing, right? I mean, there's a lot of truth in that too, because we... We've had a few cases where clients have effectively not directly said it because, you know, they're a little more polite than that, but they want schmoozed more than we do. Um, they they want a, may I take your hat, sir, you know, um, right when they send an email, they want it back within five minutes and then they want to make it seem like they're the number one thing in the world. It's to me, it's like um, people go to the dentist expecting great customer service. To me, I go to the dentist because... I want my teeth to be whatever they're supposed to be with the smartest guy that knows about teeth. I find it very strange. And so part of that is with our size, um, we get, we, Jake, you've said it too. We get the inquiries sometimes of like, why are you guys so cheap? Part of it is we don't kiss ass. <laughs> we don't, we don't kiss ass like that. Um, and if that's what you want and you want to pay that, I, I can't remember. I sent that, I sent an email a while back where um, I basically told somebody that I said, look, um, based on these rates that they're charging, here's what they're realistically going to do. They're going to put one person between you and the person actually doing the work on on your account. It's most likely going to be a woman under 35, uh, <laughs> objectively attractive. Wait, who is this and, for? Was this for one of our clients? Yeah. Someone was trying to conquest our clients? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which state? Uh, Which state was it? Give me clues. I can't remember who it was. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> but... but but they were just saying, like, why? Why is it so expensive? And I said, you're pay- that's what you're paying for. You're paying for that fee for somebody to to make you feel good. Um, and because it's business and there's lots of bros, then yeah. Then there's a attractive woman who relays your information between the team. And quite frankly, uh, skill-wise, well, that's her skill. That is their skill. And you're paying for that. And um, well, if my bias doesn't already show through about how I feel about that... <laughs> I will say I, I'm generally not a fan. No, I do tell of, of that that business model and business approach because to me it's just wasted money. It's wasted spend. Um, if you want to make money, now granted, you get to a level in business where that schmoozing, that uh, that sweet talking, all that sort of stuff, that presentation. There's more polite, politically correct words to use that I'm not using because of my bias towards this. Um, but that gets that gets like it's baked in and built into your management fee. Yeah, I think the I think the I think what people pay for the politically correct is the client relationship management. Uh, there we go. Or the customer, yeah. the customer experience manager, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. That's good. Whatever. That's, those I, are good. I I've kind of went, you know, when I 
conceptualize Evergrow in a much bigger space. I, I picture the person who's actually like the digital strategist, who is actually managing the SEO and the Google Ads efforts and everything like that. They are the account manager. They are the ones communicating with the client. Uh, not someone who doesn't have experience in SEO and Google Ads. Like if if you want a position as an account manager, you've got to go through the SEO and the Google Ads training. Yeah, and I don't think anybody has to be a pro, but you know, like, this is a this is a problem for all agencies. Everybody goes through this of the account managers don't know anything. They waste the time with the strategists, but the strategists are socially awkward and they don't know how to communicate and talk to people like real humans. It's it's a constant problem um, in the ways that people deal with it. You know, there's all sorts of different ways. But I think the one indisputable thing is that when you get an account manager who has hands-on experience actually doing campaigns and campaign work, they're the best. They're top tier. Even if they are like socially kind of weird, it doesn't matter because you're like, oh, you're smart. You get it. You understand this stuff. Why didn't he have partner with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. That's me. Uh, I, I really don't uh, like talking to people. I like hanging out in the background. So I think you do a good uh, job, though. Whenever we get on a client calls, I feel confident in the things that you're going to say. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yep. Um, I just hate it. <laughs> he goes, I don't know. <laughs> He's like, yeah, so compliments, not something that I'm familiar with. Uh, you, just, you said a second awesome. You said a second item, um, and it, you said charge for what it takes for you to care. And this was something that I talked to my brother about quite a bit because he was asking, he, he kind of does... He's a pastor in Wyoming, but he also uh, is very into fitness um, and uh, he does like personal training. But right now he's been doing it kind of just, you know, a plan, kind of like a remote personal trainer, like, hey, here's your plan, like do this and everything. And he did it with me for a while. And I, you know, I lost tons of weight. I lost like 25 pounds and it was super effective. So he was asking me different things like, hey, do I need a website or should I, could I just work from my Facebook page? Can you leave me a review? A review? Like, do you have some of those th- things you could say? And then he also asked me how much he should charge. And so I asked him what, when he worked, because he doesn't work now, I mean, what he does, but he's a pastor. So he makes nothing. He makes like 400 bucks a month. He, his rewards are in heaven. That's what they think, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and not like a mag. I mean, we're talking Wyoming. So like the, the biggest town you've got is Cheyenne, which has like what? 50,000 people, maybe. And um, <laughs> I would want to look that up. Hold on. Because I don't want someone actually from Cheyenne getting angry at me because I misinformed everybody. I know there's Cody, Wyoming, and I only know that because it's my name. Okay. She- okay. Yeah. Cheyenne is 65,000. So then, okay, what's Cody at? Cody's ten thousand, so so I was about right, fifty thousand. Uh, but uh, we're talking, yeah, small George man. He, he's lucky if he gets a thousand bucks a month. <laughs> that, that's like raking it in. But when he, he used to be a, a police officer in our hometown, uh, Waterloo, Cedar Falls area, and you know, police officers they make like seventy k, seventy thousand. So I asked him like, what? How much? How much are you worth at a day job? Like, if you were to get a day job, wh- what would be what would be the expected salary that you you want? based off of your experience and he was like i think he said 35 bucks so i was like okay then charge 70 per hour and he goes well it's not that simple like (laughs) i'm like no no no. like it is because when you're when you're moonlighting and when you're doing things on your own you have to realize that you're not just selling your time like you are a day job when you're in a day job and you work 40 hours a week you're literally selling your time for the wage that the company is paying you for so when you're freelancing you're moonlighting on the side of your job 
I want to be making double that because not only am I just selling my time, I am not selling my free time, which is worth more to me. And I, I remember saying that to him and he goes, I guess it makes sense when you put it that way. I was like, yeah, I mean, your free time, he's got four kids. So your free time is your family and it's you actually being athletic and working out and doing the things that you like. You're in, you're in Wyoming. He likes the snowmobile. He likes to hike. And it's like, guess what? People are buying that fun time. They're buying the time of your life that you used to enjoy life. Mm-hmm. And they're gonna, so they're going to pay for it. And the same goes for when you eventually when you actually leave your day job and you can start like charging business rates, then then you're talking like in incorporating like expenses and things like in payroll and things like that. And now you've got to actually do a lot more research on your market viability. But there are times when we first started Evergrow, I mean, we were probably working for 15 bucks an hour, I think. Less. <laughs> yeah, just trying to get experience. Yeah. You could work. We did the math on the website builds you're doing and you could work at McDonald's for more. Yeah. But that is... That's the trade-off too, though. I think, well, okay, there's, I've said this multiple times. There's two approaches. Do you want to be a high-ticket consultant where you are a solopreneur and make a lot of money by yourself? And in that case... You ain't doing that at 19, by the way, or 20, or 23, <laughs> or 24. Like, no, no. you need yeah. experience. I see too many of these baby-faced gurus that want to teach how to grow your agency to a seven-figure business, but they barely made it to high school. But people give them money. So well, what do I know, right? I mean... People dumber they, than that. I was like, they can convince people to give them money. So uh, they're good at something. But no, uh, I, to me, that business model is very simple. Start it, out, it doesn't really matter. Start it out whatever you want to. I will say the two things, if I'm giving general advice, one is, right, I mean, Jake already said it. Um, I don't I don't like saying it this way because it is. it's just sounds, it comes off cheap and bad, but... Yeah, you work for free. When you start, you work for free. You have no experience. You have nothing to give. You're learning. You're you're going to work for free because you are learning. Some no, People aren't going to pay you to learn how to do your job. That's weird. Usually you pay to learn. You pay to go to college. You pay to go to school. Um, so that's, don't expect to be paid for it. Now, what you can do is do a trial period or just be very upfront and clear with them or even put it into some sort of agreement or contract where you say, look, over this time frame, you'll reassess and reevaluate and change to this year at this point in time. You can do that sort of thing. But so about the the solopreneur high ticket uh consultant sort of deal. You set your rate, you get your clients, once you're slammed, you double your rates. You lose some of your clients, you get new ones again, you double your rates. You, you rinse and repeat, you keep doing it until you make as much money as you want to do. And you have to do that because you're one person limited by your hours in the day and that's that's the approach if you want to do it that way. Now, if you do it that way, you can make that short, you can make more money short term quicker. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. But compared to when you're going to build a business where it's not you, you are not the business, you're going to start taking your knowledge and have other people implement it. And even later on, get people who have the skills and talents that you don't even have, um, but incorporate into the business. When you want to do something that big, you're going to take a hit, right? And I would expect three years. I'm a, I'm a believer in the, it takes roughly a thousand days. Some people might take 2000, some people might take 500. I don't know. It varies for everybody, but generally speaking, expect three years to establish a business. And when you do that, establish ramen. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. Like, I, I, I get, I keep getting these guys who are like, I have a five-year planner and a million dollars. And like, although that is ambitious, uh, keep in mind like that is very unrealistic i mean we're talking five years to replace your day job income yeah 
Well, and I think it's it is because these people spend too much time on the internet, man. They, they do. They, <laughs> they hang out on the internet. They see they see nothing but outliers. When this is this is my beef with social now is that you have everybody in the world comparing themselves to everybody else in the entire world with algorithms that only take advantage of the most advantageous, most amazing, most outlier content and then make people feel as though that's extremely normal. Whereas in the past, if all you had was your local community and you wanted to, you know, take take all the fancy words out of it. I don't want to start, you know, I don't want to do a startup. Uh, I don't want to do SMMA, whatever, you know, whatever we want to call it. It's just, I want to start a business. I want it to be successful. I want to grow and make decent money. If you just went into your local community and found the people who had done that, you would find way different normal averages of how long that took and the amount of effort involved in that sort of thing. This whole, I became a millionaire in three years. That's not normal. That's not average. It's also, it's also mostly bullshit. Like, like even the outliers that you do see online are mostly fake. Like they didn't become, I can't tell you a single guru that I see, I've seen that made their fortune off of the actual agency they ran and not the course they sell to teach you how to run an agency. Yep. And, and I think that's, that's one of the, the biggest differences there, but and not so, it's honestly why we haven't sold out yet. What we haven't sold out yet either, <laughs> because um there's a there's a very we 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 refuse we refuse to to sell out to sell a course until like we ourselves are at that at that position well and because there's a very big difference between these guys who went from zero to 10k like congrats you made a job that's not (laughs) i'm sure like that i get that that impresses people and when you haven't done it it is extremely impressive don't get me wrong i remember thinking that too or being like, oh, wow, no, that is super cool to go from, you know, I don't like my job right now. This wasn't me. Oh, did I? Let's say I'm projecting where I'm like, I don't like my job. This guy's making six figures a year, um, built his own thing. It only took him a, a couple years, a few years to do it. That, to me, is not impressive. What's impressive is the next step. How do you go from 10K to 100K a month? How do you go from 100K to a million a month? Like, that's the scalability, but most people don't, once you get to that point, well, they're not selling courses <laughs> because those people cashed out way too early. They're like, ah, no, it's easier to just go after the small, you know, small fries, take a few thousand dollars from them. I'll teach them how to replace their day job and it's easy, right? But that's not, I, ah, hold, hold on, hold week, And I think it's lame. Hold, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So this is really funny because I, I, so I watch a lot of, um, uh, Charlie White, uh, Moist Critical Penguin Zero, whatever you want to refer to him as, on YouTube, and he was covering this uh, quote influencer, the alpha male influencer, <laughs> and I this stuff, this cringy stuff always always uh, gets me going. But this guy was saying, I was showing Lauren this because we love to dive into the cringe, and this guy was like, "You're not a real man unless you make at least 10k a month," and then and just going off like this, and I, it was like you know 15 minutes after the video ended, and, and Lauren was getting ready for the shower, and and she was saying something like, um, she's like, she was, do you? She looked at me and he goes, "Do you even make 10k a month?" And I was just like, "Yeah, yeah, I do." And she and she she goes, "What you do?" Like, like, seriously, it became like an ironic, like, joke, like a sarcastic joke. And I was like, yeah, I, I make more than that a month. And she, she's like, what? I was like, it's not that much. Like, 
it's a hundred twenty thousand dollars salary, and anybody in uh, a startup that is in a position similar to mine makes that. Uh, on top of that, I have Everbear. I basically have two full time jobs. So yeah, <laughs> I I do, and it's it's really not that much. So like what you were saying was like the guys who say you know ten k is impressive, which it is, but it's not like you know it's not like life changing. Mm. I live in an eighteen hundred square foot house in Minnesota in a suburb of Minneapolis. It's like nothing. My house is built in ninety five. You're motivated. You you like the things and you want to live the life, right? Like that's that is important to you and you prioritize it too, right? Like Yeah. Um I think that's for the people who, you know, if you if they're feeling bad about themselves or, or thinking that um if they're gonna beat themselves up because they're not at that point or at that tier, um, just keep in mind everybody has different priorities. And if they if they're not if that's not you, that's okay. It's I've said it before. Money isn't hard to make. It's all you care about. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the best way to say it, but it is the easiest way to say it. Or I just, I just posted something on Facebook a little bit ago when I was like, um, what it was, it was eight, uh, eight years ago today. I got fired from my, um, or got, I got a job offer for mud advertising and it came after five days of being, uh, after being fired from my $16 an hour shipping manager position at a printing company. Like I was, I was going to go into shipping and logistics. Like that was what my career path was. And then, so I was 21 at the time. And I was like, little did I know five years from then was when I would actually partner up with you and start Evergrow. Mm-hmm. So um, one, a lot can change in five to eight years, a lot. And so if I was making $32,000 a year and now, you know, eight years later, I'm quadrupled that it's possible. But like all at the same time, if you're, that's, that's, if that's what you're driven by, whatever you're driven by is, is, whatever you'll be mm-hmm. as long as you're driven by it but if if you put additional constraints on it like i want to make a lot of money and mm-hmm. have my own business then okay well now it's that much harder but if you want to make a lot of money it's not hard to job hop <laughs> and until i was just watching uh i was just watching a, a facebook reel and it was about this guy who was complaining about how new hires tend to get paid more than people who've been at that company for a while and that that's how i mean that's that's how it was when i worked at mud like I started making 28,000 and then like new people getting hired at the same position, making 32. And I was like, what the hell? And yep. the, he said a quote and he said, the, sometimes the best raise is a new job. <laughs> I was like, that's literally what I did to get to the position I'm at in, yep. in my day job. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Are we helpful? We were telling well, people I, the, the main thing is pricing your services appropriately when you're new. And having a realistic expectation based on that. Yeah, and you also said something too. I keep writing notes when you're talking, but I said um, <laughs> I, you were talking about high ticket consultants, or like if that's something you want to do. My advice is, if that's something what you that you want to do, you're not going to start out as a high ticket consultant. You're going to start out as a consultant. <laughs> There's a low ticket one. Yeah, a, a low ticket one, like hundred bucks a month for your advice. And uh, oh, because who the hell are you? Nobody. Yeah. You are nobody. I feel like an anti-motivational speaker right now. But No, it's reality check for people. Though. Yeah, I mean, if you came from like a Fortune 500 company or something like that and you were a consultant for them and you decided to leave and freelance your own thing, then sure. But I'd be willing to bet money that the vast majority of the listeners are uh, not worth anything because they're just starting their business out. They might have taken a scrum course or some kind of, you know, business course online and or maybe they're, they're they don't know anything and they're just kind of reading up on it um unless you can get actual uh results from other companies there's no way anyone's going to pay you to be a high ticket consultant and if they do congrats i mean you found some dumb companies yeah i think uh 
I think most people see this as a shortcut, the whole marketing thing, especially digital marketing. They're like, oh, well, I can do this and I can kind of fast track some things. And it's that mindset that actually puts them behind because they think I can do this on the side while I work this you know, job for me, blah, blah, blah. But I think the best way for the majority of them to do it would be to go get a job at an agency, go spend a year there, learn how it works, see how other people are doing it in a professional way, and then go do it for yourself. Because you're going to, you have to learn it. It'd be really cool if you got paid to learn it. Why don't you go do it for a job and then, you know, go and then do it for yourself and figure the rest out. I actually, that's what separates us from our quote competitors, because we have two competitors in our niche who both attend the seven figure sales agency groups and seminars and whatever. And it's like two, 2000 bucks a month. Remember I sent you that? Uh-huh. And it's all about like creating systems and processes. I was doing more research on it because I was bored the other day. And it's all about like for agencies who are doing less than seven figures to like help them scale up to that point. And I think most of the people in these groups are doing like 500,000 a year, but they don't have any systems or processes and check. So like they're like hitting that wall mm-hmm. and like we're not. Like they're, I mean, we're building the uh, the launch pad basically, and then every single year we launch further and further and further, and we're comfortable scaling at the rate. So, I think our biggest advantage as an agency is having the experience of working at a, an agency uh, at that scale, so where we know a lot of the processes that need to be in place to prevent things that just shouldn't be happening, even at you know ten thousand dollars a month. Yep. So, um, anyways, that was, <laughs> I always love these spots where I lose my train of thought and then I'm just like, yeah. So anyways, let's, um, <laughs> switch, but, oh yeah, I feel like we didn't quite cover the, the whole point. So I feel like there's still some information missing for the listener on, you know, they're probably sitting there going, okay, but like how much should I charge? Great. Now I feel bad about myself, but I've been emotionally uh, abused. Yeah. And welcome to our childhood. So, uh, <laughs> I so if you're asking me how much you should charge for your service, if you if you deliver a, a, a we're gonna call it a physical good, even though we know both know it's a digital good, like uh, a website or maybe you do graphic design or your you content deliverables. Yeah, you have, you have actual deliverables, things people can see. Um, you could start off for free. Just start for free. Get build a portfolio. The portfolio building assets is what I call them. Or you can charge something respectable if you think something's going to take, you know, you know, if you only want to charge 20 bucks an hour, figure out how much it might take of your time and multiply it by that. And then that'll be your portfolio builder until you can get to a point where you can start charging the freelancer rates, which are your free time rates. And then the next level is the actual business rates. Then if you're talking to me about like an actual monthly service, like you're doing social media management or you're doing Facebook or uh, Google ads or SEO or something, and you want to know how much you should charge, this is where it gets a little more tricky. So when we first started, I think we went to market with our prices and we're just like, this is a good amount of price for this. And we were happy with that. And we've been at that exact same price since then. We haven't even adjusted that. When I first started on my own, I was doing half of that. So our current management fee for SEO and Google ads is 500 bucks a month. When I was on my own, it started at like 250 a month. So it was, it was a lot cheaper. Uh, we have an internal hourly rate. We've covered this before of 125 bucks an hour. So if we're if we're allowing uh, five, a $500 management fee, we we try not to go over four hours on a given client in any given month. Uh, if you if you're just starting out and you're probably going to be spending more time on one client's account because that's all you got really. You I mean you've got this one shot to kind of 
impress them. So you might spend 10 hours a month, maybe, you know, two hours a week on them. And if you're charging 250 bucks an hour, that's like 25 bucks an hour if you divide it by 10 hours a month. So if you're happy with 25 bucks an hour just to get things moving along, then great. Um, the other thing you can do is you can charge you can charge a rate that'll pay for tools and things you need. So one thing that I recommend for a lot of new agencies who are starting out who want to do something similar to us, which is building a website or building websites and then also executing social uh, management and things like that, is they don't know how to charge for like the first website build or like the first SEO, you know, first month SEO. I always tell them charge two hundred fifty dollars. Doesn't matter what it is. It could be a website build, charge 250 bucks. If it's a month of SEO, charge 250 bucks because you can then take that 250 bucks and you can go buy your Divi lifetime access membership. And now you just paid for a plugin and a theme for WordPress that is what we use and it is a one-time fee. And you've like set yourself up for this kind of, you know, expensive cost, but it was paid for you by a client. And you can kind of look at those monthly, those, those initial clients as means to get the software or pay for the LLC or the, or the lawyer to incorporate your business um, and pay for some of those services. Now, I will, this, this does come with a warning. Um, don't, don't sell your services with the intent of buying a monthly reoccurring service. So don't, don't price your service so you can get go high level or something. Don't price your service so you can, you know, pay for some like click funnels bullshit. You don't need any of that when you start your agency. You, you, I mean, go, go back and listen to episode one uh, and then go back and listen to what episode, I can't remember what it was, but how much it costs to, to run an agency. If there's one-time tools or services or things that you can do that you can charge clients for, then do that. Cody, I went on a rant. Did you did you have anything to interject on that? Nope. That's all I got. Well, I did have one more thing. Um, so this whole conversation came up because I, I have a guy in my uh, Facebook messages asking me about how he should charge and some of the value props that he should he should add. And I I was like, you know, how much should I charge? How often should I meet with the clients? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, you have to be friends with your initial clients. You're not established enough to be transactional. So when you first get your clients, you, you mean, you've got to get on the phone with them. Maybe if they're near you, you've got to go meet them. Um, you've got to have a much more interpersonal relationship and you can't just be transactional. Cody and I are very, we're getting close to the point where we can be transactional. Just take someone's money. Someone leaves six months later. We're just like, whatever. Um, but I don't, it's not in the plan for that to be our business model. We're still very kind of one-to-one on ours. It's what made it successful so far, but being transactional is a business model that can be successful, but you cannot be that when you have very limited clients. You have to be friends. I mean, we just sent one of our clients, one of our clients had a baby and we surprised them with this, uh, like $150 worth of just like baby stuff. Uh, Laura and I wrapped it all and shipped it to him. And I'm pretty sure that guy will be around forever <laughs> after getting his response. And he was one of our very first clients. So our, our original clients from years one and two they have definitely established deeper roots kind of with our friendship. And I think that's something that they will have the benefit of having that our newer clients probably won't. Yep. You built that trust from the from the beginning. Yeah, that's all I had. All right, I'm done. We're done. We're done. That's all. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you.